Well, I've entitled my Christmas sermon, The True Light. Different cultures and different civilizations have different ways of explaining the coming of light into the world. In the beginning of all things in Greek mythology, there was only chaos, an empty void. Chaos, in Greek mythology, we're told, gave birth to Erebus, the darkness of the netherworld, and to night, the darkness over the earth. Then Erebus slept with night, who gave birth to ether, the heavenly light, and to day, the earthly light. That is, in Greek mythology, how light came into the world. As the created world transformed, the god Apollo became very important for light. Apollo is, in Greek mythology, the god of music, poetry, prophecy, healing, and knowledge, but his most celebrated role is as the god of the sun and of light. Apollo, in Greek mythology, is the bringer of light. He is responsible for bringing the sun to earth each day, pulling the sun behind him while he rides on a golden chariot. With striking similarities, the creation myths associated with Egypt focus on the primeval waters. And these primeval waters are represented by eight gods. These eight gods are considered the creator gods. And they are divided into male and female. And these two groups of gods, male and female, eventually converged. And that resulted in a great upheaval which produced a pyramid-shaped mound. And from that mound emerged the sun, which rose into the sky to light the world. And as Egyptian mythology progressed, it too developed a god who was responsible for the daily bringing of light to the world. Ra is the sun god of ancient Egypt. And he embodied the power of the sun, but he was also thought to be the sun itself. He is envisioned as a great God riding in his barge across the heavens throughout the day and then descending with the sun into the underworld at sunset. Now, Christianity also describes the coming of light into the world through creation. In Christianity, the creation of light isn't connected to gods having sex, but it's connected to the one true God speaking light into existence. The word of God is essential to light coming into the world. We read about it in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then in regards to the daily light of Life on this planet, we read in verses 14 through 18, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. 
And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set, set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. You see, the coming of light to the world in Christianity was crucially connected to God and to God's word. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and created the sun. The one true God and his word bring light into the world, into the created order, according to the Bible. However, the Genesis account would not be the only time that the Bible speaks of God and of his word and the coming of light into the world. Our passage contains another example of this. I'll read the first nine verses again, and as I do, make note of God, his word, and the coming of light. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. As we this morning consider the Christmas season, as we consider the Christmas story, let's focus for a moment on this ninth verse, which gives to us a symbolic description of the coming of the Son of God into our world. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The coming of Christ the Son, the Word, was the coming of light into the world. Now to best understand what John intends to communicate with this figurative language, I think we would do well to begin in the Old Testament and consider what light symbolized in the Old Testament so that we might think of how John was using this symbolically. My first point is light in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, light represented the presence of God, the agent of salvation, spiritual illumination, and righteous living. Light, in fact, is, is a symbol that is very common in the Bible, and it's used figuratively to represent many things, and I want to focus on the four I just mentioned, and so let's begin with the presence of God. Let's begin in the book of Isaiah. Light is a common theme in the book of Isaiah. Sometimes the prophet uses light to represent the presence of God. 
In Isaiah 60, verses one through three and 19 through 20, we read about this light representing the presence of God. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. You know, it's not uncommon in fictional stories for authors to employ sensory phenomena, you know, things you can, you know, understand and interpret and experience through your five senses to use those to indicate a personal presence. And I thought several examples of fictional stories, and uh, then when I mentioned them to my kids, none of them had heard of my examples. So I thought, well, then we'll have to go with Harry Potter. In the Harry Potter movies, J.K. Rowling would use perceptible things, things perceptible to the five senses, to indicate the presence of a being. Now, one of the examples from that story in those movies is the Dementors. The Dementors were evil, wraith-like creatures. And they could be perceived because they came as a thick, palatable darkness. And when that darkness was perceived, their presence was in the midst. In a similar way, the presence of God in Scripture is indicated by dazzling, penetrating Light and it's discernible to human eyes. But that's not the only thing in the Old Testament light signifies. Light signifies salvation. In fact, it's even more specific than that. Light represents the agent of salvation. And again, we see this in the book of Isaiah. We can look to Isaiah 9, verse 2, which Dave already read this morning. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This light is seen to be God's agent of salvation. Listen to how Isaiah describes this very same person later on in his book in Isaiah 49, verse five and six. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back or to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been, become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Light not only represents the presence of the Lord, but the presence of the Lord's agent of salvation. Someone who will be a light to the nations that God's salvation 
may reach to the ends of the earth. Let's keep moving. Let's go to the wisdom literature now. And we'll see two more symbolic meanings of light in the Old Testament. We see in the book of Psalms and so many instances what we see really in a lot of places in the rest of God's word. That is, light can represent spiritual illumination. Psalm 119, verse 105, a verse many of you will be familiar with. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A little farther on in that psalm, verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so the wisdom literature indicates that the, that light in the Old Testament can represent spiritual illumination, but it can also represent righteous living. And there's no passage that shows this more clearly than Proverbs chapter four, verses 14 through 19. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so we have briefly seen in this first point that the Old Testament employs light to represent, among many other things, the presence of God, the presence of God's agent of salvation, spiritual illumination, and righteous living. Now that will help us as we, as we consider the coming of light into the world as John 1.9 describes it. When John says that when Jesus came into the world, it was the coming of light into the world, among other things God intends for us to understand is that the coming of Jesus was the coming of God to be with us. And it was the coming of God's agent of salvation, the one who would save God's people. And it was the coming of spiritual illumination, and it was the coming of righteous living. Point number two, the coming of God. The light coming into the world was the coming of God into the world. We heard read earlier that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word, that person that John was speaking about is God. The word is divine. The word is the one true God of Israel. And John goes on to say that the word who is God is the source of life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And John goes on to explain that a different John, John the Baptist, told the world about the light. He bore witness to the light. 
and that this light was the true light coming into the world. And so the coming of that light on that first Christmas morning was the coming of God. Just as light represented the presence of God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament it represents the same thing. And Jesus would confirm explicitly that he was the light. John 8, 12, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. John 9, 5, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light. And so Jesus confirmed that he is the light that has come into the world. Now the Apostle Paul experienced this in a fantastic way. In his salvation, he was enveloped in God's presence, which he experienced as light. When he still went by the name Saul, and he was known for persecuting Christians, he went to Damascus, and as he went to Damascus, we're told he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's Acts 9.1. And then we read, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's fascinating to me that the Apostle Paul experienced the presence of God, which he later would stand upon in defense of his own apostleship, and when he experienced that, it was to him light. And so I think we can say in the New Testament what we read in the Old Testament continues, that the presence of God is symbolized with this idea of light. And what's interesting is for the rest of eternity, that will continue to be the case. Revelation 21 verse 23 says, speaking of the eternal city, the new Jerusalem, which God's people will live in with God forever and ever, it says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So the Christmas story, the Christmas story of the coming of Jesus is the story of the coming of light. And that light is the very presence of God. And when we celebrate Christmas. We're celebrating the coming of that light, which is the coming of God to be with men and women. But that's not all the coming of light is. The coming of light into the world was also the coming of God's agent of salvation. Third point, the coming of salvation. The coming of light into the world was the coming of Salvation. Now, we've already been to Isaiah chapter 9 twice, and we've seen how it describes God's agent of salvation. This agent would, would 
be seen as a great light who would shine on those people who were living in deep darkness. And his salvation that he brought would be their flourishing and their increase of joy and their victory over their enemies. That's the individual that Isaiah 9 speaks about. And then we get and look in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, that prophecy of light associated with God's agent of salvation is ascribed to Jesus. Isaiah 9, the coming of God's agent of salvation, which is the light shining on those people in darkness, in Matthew 4, verse 13 through 17, is clearly indicated to be Christ. Starting in verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that was what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of shadow and death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Isaiah 9 describes God's agent of salvation, Matthew 4 says, that agent of salvation is Jesus. And of course, verses six and seven of Isaiah 9 make this clear to us today, though they might not have been clear when they were written. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's God's agent of salvation. Jesus' self-attestation was that he was the light. And in being that light, he was the salvation of men from darkness. John 12, 44 through 46. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The birth of Jesus was the coming of the light of salvation for all who lived in darkness. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, spoke about Jesus as the light of salvation once. He preached, this world is dark as midnight, Jesus has come that by faith we may have light and may no longer sit in the gloom which covers all the rest of mankind. If we trust in Jesus, we shall no more sit in the dark shadow of death, but shall enter into the warm light of a day which shall never end. Why do we not come out into the light at once? A cloud may sometimes hover over us, But we shall not abide in darkness if we believe in Jesus. He has come to give us broad daylight. Shall he come in vain? If we have faith, we have the privilege of sunlight. Let us enjoy it. From the night of natural depravity, of ignorance, of doubt, of despair, of sin, of dread, Jesus has come to set us free. 
And all believers shall know that he no more comes in vain than the sun rises and falls to scatter his heat and light. The baby in the manger at Bethlehem is not only the coming of divine light of God himself, but that baby in the manger at Bethlehem is the bringer of the light of salvation from darkness. Not a physical darkness, but a spiritual darkness. Not a physical light does he bring, but a spiritual one. And that brings us to our next point, the coming of spiritual illumination. The coming of light into the world is the coming of spiritual illumination. The book of Romans indicates that through sin, the foolish hearts of humanity were darkened, Romans 1.21. The book of Ephesians declares that because of sin, humanity is darkened in their understanding, Ephesians 4.18. The book of Colossians proclaims that sinners abide in the domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13. The spiritual darkness that every human being lives in is a result of sin. Sin is a rebellion against God. It's a rejection of who he is and what he has commanded. And there is so much evidence of it in our lives. Sin is evident in our actions as we lie and cheat and steal and fornicate and abuse and in so many other ways as we behave like creatures of darkness. Our sin is also evident in our inaction as we fail to love God and fail to love our neighbor. It is also evident in the internal subterfuge of our hearts in which we lust and envy and hate. And many people never see, but God always sees. This darkness of sin is our lot. It's the lot of every man and every woman because we are in bondage to this darkness. And because of this darkness, because of sin, we will experience what Jude calls gloom and utter darkness for eternity. That's what our lot is, unless we experience spiritual illumination. The spiritual illumination offered by the light that came into the world. The spiritual illumination that is offered by that babe who was born in Bethlehem. The Apostle Paul describes this spiritual illumination in his second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, verse five and six. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This spiritual illumination that Mary's baby brings into the darkened world is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And the apostle Peter describes this spiritual illumination when he says to those who have been spiritually enlightened, he says, God has called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9. That is the purpose for which the light came into the world. This is the reason Christ was born. He came to bring light. He came to bring spiritual illumination that men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation might come out of the spiritual darkness of sin that leads to death and into the spiritual light of his resplendent glory. John 12, 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And that's the Christmas message for us on this morning of Christmas Eve. It's to believe in the light that we might become sons or sons and daughters of the light. To believe in the light is to believe in Jesus, to believe who he was, who he said he was, and he did what he said he did. To believe that he is the very son of God, God himself, who came to earth and was born of a woman, who took on human flesh and a human nature, who lived a life of perfect obedience to God, who died a death that atoned for the sin of mankind to rise from the dead and to ascend to the Father and then to one day return to bring salvation and judgment. He is the light that has come into the world. Believe in the light. That's the clarion call of Christmas to each of us this morning. Just as the light from a lighthouse instructs sailors where to travel that they might be saved, just as the emergency lights on a plane or a building instruct people how to exit so that they might be saved, so too the light of Christmas instructs us this morning. It instructs us on how to be saved. We need to believe in the light. And this will only happen as God, through his spirit, spiritually illumines your heart and you respond by believing. So believe. Do that this Christmas. Finally, this morning, the light in the Old Testament also represented righteous living. And so there's a very practicalness to the light coming into the world. My final point, the coming of righteous living. The coming of light into the world was the coming of righteous living. First of all, it is so because Jesus lived his entire life in perfect righteousness. He never sinned. And so the coming of light into the world was the coming of righteous living. But secondarily, to those who become children of light, by believing in the light, through that light that came, we are enabled to walk in the light. And to walk in the light is to act in accordance with God's word and to be obedient to what it calls us to. And to walk in darkness is to reject God's word and to act in ways that defy it. Well, again, another reason for the coming of the light, for the coming of Jesus, was so that through his death, he might win for the Father children of light who walk in the light. 
Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 11, I think makes this clear. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The coming of the light into the world the coming of Christ at the very first Christmas was among many other things, the call and the enablement for the children of light to walk in the light. That is, Jesus was born so that God's people might walk in righteousness and the power of the Spirit. That through the enabling grace of the Spirit, the children of light might be imitators of God, that we might please God with lives that produce the fruit of that which is good and right and true. The coming of light into the world was the coming of righteous living. I'll finish this morning. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In the Old Testament, light signified, among other things, the presence of God, the agent of God's salvation, spiritual illumination, and righteous living. Now, the birth of Jesus was the coming of light into the world. And Jesus, as the light who came into the world, was the presence of God among men. And Jesus, as the light that came into the world in that Manger in Bethlehem was the coming of God's agent, an agent of salvation to save people from darkness. And Jesus, the light of the world, is himself the means by which God, through spiritual illumination, causes us to become children of light as we believe in him. And finally, the coming of Jesus into the world was the coming of light that calls the children of light to walk in the light as they were empowered by the Spirit to do just that. I'll finish with the words of a Christmas carol. We have sung this Christmas season and I'm sure we'll sing again. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. 
born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's pray. Good and gracious heavenly father, we praise you and thank you that you sent your son And the coming of your son was the coming of light into the world. And that light was the presence of God which dwelt among us. And that light was the coming of the agent of your salvation to save people from darkness. And the coming of that light was the hope of spiritual illumination where those who lived in darkness became children of light. And the coming of the light is a call and an empowerment to living righteously. And so on this Christmas Eve morn, Father God, we praise you and thank you. Praise you and thank you for the coming of Christ, for the birth of Jesus and all that he accomplished for our salvation. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.